What a difference a week makes. We see that in the gospels. We may have even experienced that ourselves. When I was 20 years old, I spent the summer working for TexDOT, Texas Department of Transportation, in their maintenance department. It was hot work. It was outside all summer long. And that last week of the summer before the fall semester started, some friends and I went to Garner State Park, one of the best places in Texas. And we camped and we hiked and we swam in the Frio River. And as we were there, my best friend and I climbed this embankment that was at least... 20 feet high, sometimes it's 40. It gets taller every time I tell the story. But we climbed this embankment and we ran and jumped into six feet of that Frio River. It was cold and it was relatively shallow. My friend went first and when he went, he bottomed out. And then he looked back and says, it's awesome, come on. And I had to go, I couldn't let him show me up. And so I ran and cleared out the underbrush and entered into that water with, I guess my left foot was pointed because it hit the bottom and it snapped. And I, yikes, I broke my ankle and had surgery, six screws and a plate. And then sometime later that fall, had surgery to remove the hardware not the way I wanted to spend my junior year at Texas A&M hobbling around that campus on crutches. In a week's time, things changed. And maybe you've experienced that before. My prayers are with the congregation in our community, Sylvania Church. A week's time made all the difference in the world for them as they lost their pastor tragically. And we pray God's peace and presence on them as they've experienced a whirlwind this past week. And maybe you can relate to the difference a week makes. Some of us experience pain and heartache. Some of us experience the lies from the world and we hold on to what they say we are, who they say we are. How many of us wear labels like ADHD, bipolar, addict, and feel bound or limited by that label? How many of us have scars? I have the scars to prove. How many of us have scars? behind the stories of our lives, good, bad, right, wrong, emotional, physical, maybe even spiritual scars do not lie. They tell a story. They speak to where we've been. They point to where our hope is and what our Christ can do, where we're going with him. So what's your story? What do the scars of your life tell about who you are in Christ? Emotional pain physical pain. Many of us live in bondage for years, enslaved to the pain in our lives, almost like we rip those scabs off of those wounds, never allowing them to heal. But those things don't define us. It doesn't have to be that way. The scripture that we read this morning demonstrates to us that God uses scars. 
He used his own scars to prove exactly who he was. And when the disciples saw Jesus' scars that first Easter Sunday evening, they were filled with joy. And then eight days later, when Thomas saw Jesus' scars, he made a declaration of faith. What if when people saw our scars, they were moved to joy or our scars, our stories fostered belief? our journey, the pain in our lives, the junk that we go through, all that stuff can impact God's kingdom here on earth, can make a difference in the lives of someone else like none other. So this morning, let's look at how Jesus's scars impacted the world of his disciples and then the world that we are a part of even today. It had been a week since Jesus was raised from the dead, since he first appeared to his disciples. Then they were behind locked doors for fear of the Jews. And here they are again, probably in the same place, behind locked doors. And Jesus appeared to them again, all of a sudden, out of the blue, another miraculous aspect of Jesus's appearance to and with his disciples. And Jesus greeted them the same way he had greeted them a week prior. Peace be with you. And this was more than a conventional greeting. It was a breath of fresh air. He told the disciples, receive the Holy Spirit. And my guess is Thomas experienced the same thing. Just like the week prior, Jesus acknowledged the completed work of his death on the cross, which yields a state of freedom from anxiety for those who follow him, those who love and believe in him. That peace be with you. And then Jesus spoke directly to Thomas. It's like he knows our need before we ask, even our ignorance in asking. One week prior, Thomas had the audacity to blurt out, well, unless I see his hands and put my fingers in his scars, put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Jesus wasn't visibly there when Thomas spoke those words. But now, in his presence, Jesus matched Thomas's demands one by one. Thomas, see my hands. Put your finger here. Put your hand in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Literally, stop being unbelieving and believe. Jesus was speaking to Thomas's obstinance, stubborn unbelief. Thomas, be believing. The full weight of your existence type of belief, put that on me. Believe in God, believe also in me. In the resurrection, it changes everything. And Thomas replied with a declaration of faith, my Lord, and my God, and just like last week with the personal pronouns, although this time it is personal and it's not just something Thomas possessed as if we can possess Jesus, but he was possessed. Faith was born inside of this doubtful man. Jesus is God with skin on, risen from the dead. And one commentary said, mere mortal men do not do this sort of thing. Jesus, risen. So in a moment of surrender and submission, Thomas is really saying, Lord, you are the one who rules over me. 
the one in whom I worship. And very graciously, Jesus replied, and some scholars say it was a reprimand, others do not. Some translators of the Bible put a question mark at the end of this sentence, and others say it's just a statement. If Jesus did ask a question of Thomas, it was asked in such a way as to generate a favorable reply. You believe because you see me? Yes, I know that to be true, Jesus was saying. Whatever the case, Jesus is affirming that seeing is believing. He did not say, because you touched me. Seeing is believing. Thomas's unbelief has been transformed, changed into deep belief. And then Jesus speaks a word of affirmation, not only over Thomas, but also over you and me. There is a higher faith than one that's merely based on things that we can see with our eyes, things that we can touch with our hands. Jesus says, blessed are those who will believe and they have not seen me. And it's very much like the wind. We can't see the wind, where it goes or comes from, but we see the effects of the wind and we can see the effects of Jesus working in and through his church. Consider that Thomas came to believe the same way the disciples did. Eight days earlier, they saw Jesus and they rejoiced. In fact, Jesus took initiative and he showed the disciples his hands, his scars, all these things that gave them convincing proof. And Thomas wanted that for himself, convincing proof. And it's no different than you and I. Sometimes we pray, Lord, if you do this, then I will. But we can't bargain or barter with God. He just shows up. Thomas wanted convincing proof and he received it. How did he get there? What did he do over the course of these eight days? No one knows for certain. But let me suggest to you that number one, Thomas positioned himself. As far as we know, he did not pick up his toys and go home, did not walk away with his tail tucked between his legs. He was present in community with the disciples. He positioned himself to experience the risen Lord Jesus. And that was a willful decision. Then he waited a whole nother week. And we have not a clue how he and the disciples spent the week, but we do know that waiting is prevalent throughout scripture. Noah waited in an ark. Jonah waited in a whale. Jesus waited in a tomb. And every time when the time was right, God showed up. All of these three lived lives that were full of the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing about our waiting. God is always working. From the prophet Isaiah chapter 64, since ancient times, No one has heard, no ear perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you, Lord God, who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Church, while we are waiting, God is always working. What's he working? He might be working on it because it is not ready yet. 
he might be working on you because whatever it is, you're not ready yet. Just because God seems silent does not mean that he's not working. Sometimes God wants to do something in the timing of the delay. And so while you are working, he is orchestrating something else that may be related. And sometimes in our waiting, the answer is no, which is hard to hear. But God is not always going to do what it is you want him to do. For six days, God did not do what Thomas wanted him to do. And we don't know why. We do know that God's ways are higher than his ways. His thoughts are just the same, Isaiah 55. God does not serve us. We serve him. We live and move and have our being at the pleasure of our God and King. So when God says no, Maybe it's because he's gonna do something else, something better, something different. The thing about our waiting, God is always working. And although we don't know what Thomas did for that week, we do know what is within our power to do as we wait. So let me encourage you, as you wait, don't be idle. Don't grow complacent. Position yourself to experience the living God. What is it that waiters do? They wait on tables. They serve in an active way. Waiting is active. So find transformative community. I'd love to help you do that. Plug in and serve, whether here in the church or outside in the world. I'd love to help you do that. Pursue Christ and give yourself to the moments of each day that he leads you and I leads us into. Engage in the life of the church. Let God confirm the things you're waiting on him to do because when the time is right, God will do it. He is never slow. He is always right on time. And let me remind you that one time when the time was right, God stepped down out of heaven in the person and work of Jesus. He gave God a face and a name. Jesus lived and died a brutal death, your death and mine, the death that we deserved. No one took his life from him. Jesus laid it down of his own accord, said he had the power to do so and the power to take it up again. And that's exactly what happened. He was raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And when he did, because he did, he went from being someone on the outside of us to the one who lives inside of those who claim his name, those who receive this gift of God's presence. We receive it by repentance we receive it by laying it down, saying, Lord, I'm at the end of myself. Come in, help, fill me up, have mercy. He always does. His timing is right on. When the time was right, Jesus stepped back into that room 
where the disciples were, only this time Thomas was present. And in an instant, he went from being an almost Christian, having missed out on what God had done, to an altogether Christian, one who truly knows the love of God that occupies and captivates heart and soul, that one who by repentance receives everything God has for them. They deny the desire of the flesh, put to death desire of the eye, the pride of life, and they are marked by a deep faith, by good works, and a profound love of God, neighbor, and self. John Wesley, who said those things, also said, I am not afraid that the people called Methodists should ever cease to exist, either in Europe or in America, but I am afraid lest they should only exist as a dead sect having the form of religion without its power. For at least eight days, and who knows how much longer, Thomas had the form of religion. But when the time was right, God slammed into his soul and that changed everything. This movement that we are a part of, whether Methodist or absolutely Christian, it is not marked by dead men walking around here on this green earth, but rather it is marked by men and women who are full of God's power and presence, walking as God leads them into the rest of the world. Because there is a world who knows deep pain, and they need to see the effects of the gospel in the lives of men and women who believe. That describes Thomas, who experienced the resurrected Lord. Thomas touched Jesus' scars. He even put his own scars to good use. Church tradition says Thomas took the gospel to India, where many were saved. And in the year AD 72, he was martyred for his faith there in India, having given his life to a spear, martyred in Jesus' name. But he was an altogether Christian, marked by God's presence. He waited on the Lord all of his life, and we are called to be and do the same, not in a passive sort of way, but in a very active way, giving ourselves to Christ, doing things differently, not sulking or bitter, but serving and living and loving really well in Jesus' name. We wait on God, whose timing is impeccable. But I have to ask, what if the God we're waiting on is waiting on you? Second Peter chapter three says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting any one of us to perish, not wanting anyone anywhere to perish, but all people to come to repentance. Church, Tell me about your scars. What story do your scars tell? What's your pain? When the disciples saw Jesus' scars, they were filled with joy. When Thomas saw Jesus' scars, he made a declaration of faith. What if others did the same because of our scars, because of our story, because of the gospel planted inside of us the power and presence of our risen Lord. You are not defined by your scars, 
Because of Jesus, God can use our scars. We may not see him, but we embody him. And as we scatter into the wind, we get to be his effects in this world. So again, what's your story? Because there are children in a classroom who need to see the embodiment of Jesus Christ. There are citizens of our city who need to see the embodiment of Jesus Christ. There are people in your home, people that you work with, people that you go to school with, who need to know the story behind your scars and see the embodiment of Christ in and through your life, church. It's a beautiful thing that God calls us to be. God has written us into his story. So if you are waiting Know that God sees you. Know that God is working. And if God has shown up in your life, know that others are waiting too hungry for what you have. Let's be the faithful presence of love in all the dark places that we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are desperate for you to show up and move in our lives. And we know that there is a world desperate just the same. And so we pray that you would heal our hurts, habits, hangups. Lord, make us whole and put it in us that we are a people defined not by our past, but by your presence. Come Holy Spirit, and move on your church. Come Holy Spirit and move through your church. Come Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen.